If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We just finished up the book of Daniel. And that was an interesting book, wasn't it? Amen or no? Oh, okay. Uh, We went through the prophecies in there. We went through all the lessons learned by Daniel and other of his friends, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was their real name. Or was their uh, Babylonian names. But when we read this, the reason I've got a glass of water up here is because <laughs> I have to say the word begot about 30 times or more. So let's read it together. <clears throat> and we are going to go through the whole book, all 28 chapters, and we are not going to try to rush through it. Uh, I'm not going to be doing all the preaching. Um, from time to time, Jason and Rod, possibly Mike uh, and others, will be going through with it. Um, and it's helpful to hear from more than just one man because one man will only give you one man's view. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. <clears throat> Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begat, begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begat Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. Ammon begot jo, jo, uh, excuse me, Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. <clears throat> and after that, they were brought to Babylon. Jeconiah begot Shealtiel. Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud. Abiud begot Eliakim. Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Akim. Akim begot <coughs> Eliud. Eliud begot Eliezer. Eliezer begot Mathan. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David and the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Christ was like as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit, is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord 
through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took, his, took to him his wife, but he did not know her until he, she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. <clears throat> May the Lord give us blessing from his word. It's interesting as you read the Gospels that none of the authors ever identify themselves in the text. Um, John calls himself he who the Lord loved, but you just don't see this. But even though Matthew's authorship has been questioned by modern scholars, given that we know Matthew was a personal disciple of Jesus, his narrative compared to that of the other synoptic gospels like Mark and Luke are very, very similar in only a few different ways. Some of the main differences are there because of the point of view of that author, what he was looking at. When Mark might see only one person healed, Matthew may record two. Matthew gives more information about Jesus walking on the water than the others. The purpose and scope of each gospel is based on what the author was trying to present about Jesus. Matthew was intent on presenting Jesus as the rightful heir of David, king of Israel. Mark, on the other hand, was presenting Jesus as the servant of Jehovah. Luke was um, presenting Jesus as son of man. And, of course, John as son of God. Matthew takes genealogies back primarily to David, but back to Abraham. And he describes Abraham as a, I mean, David as a son of Abraham, giving him all the promises that God has made. Mark provides no genealogy at all for Jesus. He just starts out saying, here's the gospel of Jesus. It starts right out when he's 30 years old. But why doesn't Mark do a genealogy? Well, he's presenting Jesus as the slave of Jehovah. Who cares about the genealogy of a slave? <laughs> Jesus, Luke takes genealogy all the way back to Adam to provide proof that Jesus came as son of man. What's really interesting is that Luke's genealogy looks different than, than Matthew's. This has confused a lot of people. But let me explain what's going on here. Matthew's trying to present Jesus as king. He's really only talking about family heads that were in the line of David. Luke, on the other hand, gives you an exact actual fathers and mothers in that genealogy. It looks different, but it really isn't. Think about it like this. Let's say that... Uh, um, let's say that, that, that Shayla here... Oh, excuse me. Shayla... Um, was had the title of daughter of Phil Brown. Well, he's the family head, right? Even though she's really the daughter of James Niffin. Luke would say that. Mark, I mean, Matthew would, would look at the family head and notify the, the father that way. So, I'm not picking on you, Shayla. He's talking about me. Now, in the genealogy, it's really interesting. There's a few shady characters. 
And uh, I like that. <laughs> you know why I like it? Because I'm a shady character. Oh, boy, don't, I, I just blew it now. Our pastor's, a, our pastor's a shady character. Come on, you are too, right? <laughs> so, anyway, for instance, uh, three women named in there are considered harlots or foreigners. Tamar played the harlot with Judah to make him keep a promise. He was supposed to give, after her husband died, he was supposed to give her his next son. And he didn't do it. So she sneaks around, while finds out he's going to Jerusalem or somewhere, and she puts on a harlot clothing, which I don't know what that w- was, but he didn't recognize her. And she invites him in to have relationships with him. He didn't have anything to give her, so he gave her his staff and his, and his jacket or coat. And then he goes on. He promised her he'd bring her some sheep and stuff. When he gets back, she's not there. Then all of a sudden, Tamar shows up pregnant. And, and Judah says, hey, you know, she must have been a harlot. We've got to stone her to death. So she takes those things that she took from Judah. I, mean, I, th- I think I said Jacob before it was Judah. And sent them to him and says, the person who owns these things is the father of my child. Oops. <laughs> and he had two children by her. He fulfilled his promise by becoming her husband himself. <clears throat> Rahab was a harlot in Jericho whose house was on the wall, and her flame, claim to fame is that she hid the spies that came from Moses before they attacked Jericho and, even the, and lied actually to the king or the rulers there that, no, they went this way, and they were actually under a bushel basket under under on top of her roof and they said if you hang out a little scarlet thread or a ro- uh, like a rope scarlet colored rope when we come against them you won't be harmed and everybody in your house will be saved you know i find that interesting my wife and i've looked at that verse and thought does that mean that if we are covered by the blood of jesus which is really what that means all of our households are going to be saved no, you still have to make a personal decision to trust the Lord. We can't do that. You can't do that for your children. In fact, I urge you, don't hurry them. Make sure they understand the gospel really well. But I do think it's interesting that here in um, Nikki's family, she's been praying for her mom for years and years and years. And she positionally brought her mom under her household. Um, Ed Smith has done the same thing and he's now all his family are saved and baptized so I believe God's in the business of saving clans I may be wrong about that but it seems that way I know we have a lot of clans here right now it's really interesting that that we have a lot of people who bring in a lot of children and that's great I'm glad that's happening Ruth was a Moabitess now there was a decree made when Moab resisted Israel going through the wilderness that God said nobody in Moab's ever going to be have an inheritance Israel and yet she goes back to Israel with Naomi Boaz marries her and she has this huge inheritance in Israel plus she's also in the line of Christ isn't that amazing God uses people like that like you and me who really have no claim to fame with God certainly no merit to come to him and say well i did this or i did that no (laughs) that's not going to cut it if you don't 
know Jesus, if you haven't trusted exclusively and only in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no other merit with God. In fact, you really have no merit anyway. You're going in on His righteousness. Amen? So, the only person in this genealogy that is venerated as not having any corruptness is Mary the Virgin. But I have to tell you something. She was a sinner. She called Jesus her Savior. And a person who isn't a sinner doesn't need a Savior. Right? So, her only claim to fame then was, aside from being the mother of Jesus, is that she was available. We ought to take a lesson from that. Matthew himself is identified as Levi in the other Gospels, but we know that because he was Herod's, one of Herod's tax collectors, he may, have, he may have been known as Matthew bar Levi, which bar means son of. Okay. The precise date of Matthew's writing is not known, but many place it somewhere between A.D. 50 and A.D. 65 because of Jesus' prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem and Matthew 24. Most scholars put it before A.D. 70. But think about that for a minute. If you go and check out the Quran, the copies of the original documents are sometimes four and five hundred years old from their original authorship. Homer's Iliad and Odyssey weren't discovered until almost 700 years after he wrote it. But the New Testament was written within, in many cases, 40 years. It was fresh. It was there. And i got to tell you, it will bring you to Jesus if you read it, if you stay with it. I'm not just talking about Matthew. I'm talking about the whole Bible. But his, Matthew has a, such a, uh, a way of making this an evangelistic tool. In fact... The elders at Antioch, which is where Matthew was when he wrote it, and he probably had them in mind, were really touched by the book of Matthew. And uh, Ignatius of Antioch, who was one of the the elders there in Antioch, who became known, uh, I think the Catholics made him a saint in Ignatius, but he was an apostle of John, the apostle. He was a disciple. And throughout all of Asia and Europe, This book, Matthew, circulated all over the place very rapidly. The literary features of it, it has a very distinctive style. Um, It's almost rhythmic as you read it. It's it's like back and forth from blocks of narrative to blocks of material uh, discourse to blocks of parables. The theme, of course, that he's trying to present is Jesus of Nazareth, this compelling witness that this long-awaited Messiah is, the, in fact, the descendant of David. And that he's the rightful king of Israel and that he would bring in the kingdom of God and the promised peace and deliverance that we so need. And it didn't make any difference, Jew or Gentile. Abraham was promised... A father to be a father of many nations, but the Jews and their nationalistic attitude treated every other nation and called them goyim, meaning dogs. Hmm. Matthew establishes the identity of Christ's church as the true people of God, the true Israel of God. 
So his gospel provides necessary instructions for all of us. His gospel is rich in detail. It's awesome in the way it presents Jesus as the rightful king of Israel, as the Messiah born of the virgin, the creator and maker of all men, king arriving in Jerusalem, compassion for rebellious people, direct forthcoming prophecy of Israel's final state, Matthew 24, his suffering for sins and ultimate resurrection and his compelling mission in chapter 28 to evangelize the whole world. That's why it was used as a witnessing tool by so many people. Fourteen generations in each section. Fourteen from Abraham to David. Fourteen from David to Babylonian captivity. Fourteen from Babylonian captivity to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure what a generation was back then, but currently, at the time of Jesus, it was about 40 years. I want to just stop for a minute and say this. This isn't in my notes. Because we know scholars and people who claim to be scholars are always so critical of the Bible. They think that when we come in the doors of this church, we leave our mind and our intelligence out there somewhere. That's not true. We just got through finishing the book of Daniel, and I don't know if you enjoyed it as much as I did studying it and preaching along with the other guys that preached it with me. But it's so precise about history, about things that happen that Daniel prophesied or the angels told to him, and it happened, boom, 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 boom. We looked at that chart at all those things that happened. None of that stuff was end-time prophecy. It was all about the, the time from Daniel to the intertestamental period up through the time of A.D. 70 after Christ. And we looked at that critically and decided as pastors not to take a point of view. You know, windmill, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, pre-mill, post-mill, or windmill. The windmills seem to make the most, diff- most noise. I don't know. But this is a book you can rely on. This is going to present Jesus to us as we go through it and lift him up in front of us and say, Worship. who he is each year we celebrate christmas we're not told anywhere in the scriptures to do that are we it became a tradition in the catholic church but his birth is miraculous because isaiah predicted the lord himself will give you a sign a virgin shall conceive and bear a son his name shall be called emmanuel joseph is described here as a just man i think he should be described as a merciful man because a woman who showed up pregnant who wasn't married would no possibly be stoned to death under their law joseph didn't allow that to happen you know joseph's interesting guy he is so faithful he follows instructions so well do you do that when you read your word are you just right there ready to follow every single word and do it just exactly the way he wants you to do it i know few people that are Numero uno is right here. <laughs> but Joseph, that he was going to hide her away. But he didn't do that. He, in a, a man of lesser character probably would have had her executed. God brought on the conception of Jesus through Mary. Nobody else, not a man. And so he intervened with Joseph. And this angel of the Lord just kept leading him around saying, Listen, son of David. And I love that too. Because... 
the angel is identifying Joseph in the line of the king. So, he warns him against doing anything to Mary. He's told by the angel that that which is born in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that Joseph is going to be given the responsibility to name Jesus. That's always true. You know, it's interesting when when John the Baptist was being foretold by Zach, to Zacharias, he had to have his mouth shut because he wouldn't believe. <laughs> and they all come forth, came forth and said, well, we're going to name him, you know, uh, Zacharias or something. And then the Lord let his tongue go. And he said, no, his name is John, just like the angel told me. But the head of the household had the responsibility of naming him. The name Emmanuel, though, in that verse was made actually in a dual meaning. And it, it's really good for all, us that it has a dual meaning. At the time it was made, it meant God is on our side. God with us. In other words, the king of Israel was told his name shall be Emmanuel, meaning he's on your side and against your enemies. But with us, as we read the New Testament, we find out that he's the literal, physical Son of God right in our faces. He's with us. He's present with us. And not only, you know, does this mean that the Holy Spirit is also present with us, because Jesus described himself as the Holy Spirit in John, but it also means he's on our side (laughs) because of his blood, right? So Joseph is aroused from sleep, and he does what he's told. And he and Mary had no physical relations until Jesus was born. By the way, let me just stop here and say something. And I don't, I'm not going after any particular religion or denomination. But there's no place in Scripture where Joseph is told that he can't have relations with Mary after Jesus is born. She did not stay a perpetual virgin. I mean, all of us guys know that God wouldn't do that to Joseph. That's part of the love we have for each other, that physical bond with our wives. But Joseph was self-controlled enough that he waited until Jesus was born. Jesus, I mean, they had other children. You know, there's a couple of them that wrote New Testament books. James and Jude, half-brothers of Jesus. Mary was their mother. Where'd, she, where'd they come from? Joseph. So keep that in mind. If it, it, it's not a point for argument. It's just a point so you know. And I want you to read why you need to follow the Scripture exclusively. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul said this, Now, brethren, these things I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn through us not to think beyond what is, script, what is written? What's he saying there? We've actually had people leave this church because they did not like what was written. They may have blamed Rod or me or somebody else, and that's the reason they left. But the real reason was they didn't like what was written. And we had the gall to get up and preach it. Oh, hiss boo on us. While I'm here, that's the only thing that's ever going to happen. I think that's true of Rod, too. And he's a lot younger than me, so you've got a lot of years ahead of you to get good preaching. And Jason, too. They're about the same age. I'm old. 
Oh, where's Jason? Oh, he's not here. He would have said, Amen, real loud. So that's okay. Mary referred to Jesus as her Savior in the book of Luke. Wow. There's some lessons for us to be learned in this, but when Jesus is presented as King of Israel, can I just tell you that if you're here today and you're a believer, He should be your King. Not the guy sitting in the White House. Not the guy who's the mayor of your county or your city. Jesus. Alone. But I just want to tell you, until you're ready to make Him more than Savior, make Him King, then you're not even in His kingdom. Because to be in His kingdom, He's got to be your King. Right? So if that's going to happen, and you're saying, oh, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and you're still living like the devil, pardon me, you're not making Jesus as your King. So... All I can say is, I have a problem believing you're in the kingdom. Okay, that's enough of that. I'm getting too serious. This king who became a pauper (laughs) died for you and me. Rose again, victorious, leads us in his victory all the time. He's coming again to resurrect all people. Some to wrath and judgment and some to eternal life. Which are you going to be in? He's never tur- he never turned anyone away. If you sincerely are struggling with conviction and you want to come to Jesus, can I just tell you? He's not going to... He's not. You need to deal with it. You need to do it. You know, I, I believe... What the, when, when I'm looking at the Bible and it's talking about free will, I believe it. When it's talking about God's election, I believe it. And I'll preach it whatever's in context. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you really want to know Jesus, it's still your choice. You still need to do something about it. Because none of us can believe for you. You can't believe for your kids. You can't believe for your... I'm sure Nikki would have loved to believe for her mom. Right? You can't do it. It's your decision. As we study Matthew then, I pray that as we look at this and behold our King, God would convict and challenge us to follow Him closely. I want to read something to you that Spurgeon wrote. Every mor- I have a morning and evening devotional book by Charles Spurgeon. And some of his stuff is so profound, I just have to fall to my knees. I haven't even gotten to my Bible yet. I'm reading him. So I've decided to go to the Bible first and then read him, and usually it gels. But I want you to uh, listen to this. And it's some small print, so I might not get it all, but hang on. Battery's low. I'm going to try to read it, but the battery is going down on me. The unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3.8. My king has riches beyond the count of arithmetic, the measure of reason, the dream of imagination, or the eloquence of words. They are unsearchable. You may look and study and weigh them, but Jesus is greater a Savior than you think him to be when, your thought, when our thoughts are at the greatest. Jesus the king is more ready 
to pardon you, then you are ready to sin. That's amazing. My, will, my king is more willing to supply your wants than you are to confess your need. Never tolerates, he never tolerates low thoughts. No, you must never tolerate low thoughts of the Lord Jesus. When you put the crown on his head, you might put him on a crown with a silver, but he deserves gold. He, is a, he has riches of happiness to bestow upon you. And now he can make you lie down in green pastures and lead you by still waters. There's no music like the music of his pipe. When he is the shepherd and you are the sheep, you will lie down at his feet. There is no love like his. Neither earth nor heaven can match it. To know Christ is to be, and to be found in him. This, my friend, is life. This is joy. This is the marrow and fatness, the wine on the lees, the refined wine. My master does not treat his servants churlishly. He gives to them as a king gives to another king. I like that. He gives them two heavens, a heaven below in serving him here, and a heaven above and delighting in him forever. His searchable riches will be best known when we get to eternity. He will give you on the way to heaven all you need for your provisions and your place. He will give you your place of defense and make the munitions of rocks and bread. He shall give, be given to you. Your waters shall be sure. But it is there in eternity, there where you shall hear the song of them that triumph, the shout of them that come to the feast and shall face-to-face -face view of the glorious and beloved one, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the tune for which the minstrels of earth and the song of the harpers of heaven, Lord, teach us more and more of Jesus, and we will tell others the good news about him. I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And just keep that in mind, what we just read, and what, what He is, who He is. We're not here to preach principles and five easy lessons to maturity and stuff like that. That won't get you anywhere. Paul says, I preach Christ and Him crucified that I may present every man before God. Isn't that neat? 